0: what this is all about. Uh, We hope this will be an exploratory rather than a confrontational evening, but I think it's going to be interesting no matter what. Uh, Before we begin, I'd just like to thank a few of the people and groups who have been involved in this program. Uh, This is a program that has really been uh, in preparation for almost a year, and a great deal has gone into it. I'd like to thank all the members of our committee for their participation in the planning, as well as all of the people at Bank Street College, especially Betty Kulisade, for their help in coordinating uh, everything that will be going on tonight. And I'd also like to thank everyone at the three schools who are involved here uh, this evening, St. Bridget's School, Central Park East, and Bank Street School. Uh, there has been a curriculum unit for those of you who don't know this uh, underway uh, at these three schools for the last eight weeks and the issue of censorship has been the subject of that curriculum unit so everyone is extremely well prepared now i'd like to introduce to you someone from whom you've already heard on the subject of seating uh, robert lipsite who will be our moderator Uh, for the evening. Uh, Bob is a sports columnist for the New York Times. He has been, as many of you will know, the host of an extremely interesting current affairs program. A dimming of the lights on that note, Bob. (laughs) A current affairs program on PBS called The Eleventh Hour. Uh, The Eleventh Hour uh, won an Emmy in 1990, as did Bob himself as host of the show. Uh, he is also the author of six novels for young adults, among them The Contender and the recently published The Brave. And now I'd like to turn the evening over to Bob Lipsy. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Um, as, as you've already figured out tonight, we'll be handling dangerous materials, words, and ideas. Most of the adults speaking will be men and women dedicated to our freedom uh, of access to those words and ideas. But our hope is that the people on stage here, seventh and eighth grade students who've been studying censorship will help us explore the complexities of these issues in fresh and non-reflexive ways. And I would like to introduce them to you. Please hold your applause and woofing until we've met them all. From Central Park East, Adriana Nova. Why don't you just wave? (laughs) Ardenea Morgan, Derek Brown, and Romaine Clinton. From Bank Street, Courtney Orange, David Orr, and Demetra Karaman. And from St. Bridget, right here, Christina Funes, Diana Delgado, and Rudolfo Rivera.
2: That's our school board.
1: Now, this this may be the last time that you agree with them, because they are, these ten, are a school board and they, this is what they're going to be doing tonight, they're going to listen to a passage from a book by Norma Klein and then to a letter from a school media coordinator (coughs) challenging the use of that book in her school. Now, This is a little bit unusual in the sense that in the normal course of events, which our first speaker will tell you about, uh, the letter of challenge to a book usually comes from a parent in the community. But we happen to have a real letter of challenge to this particular book. And so we're going to use it, and perhaps, in a sense, imagine that it's a challenging letter from a parent. After we hear the passage from the book and the letter of challenge, we will then listen to the presentations of six adults, a teacher, a parent, a writer, a librarian, an editor, and a professional advocate, the the usual list of suspects in such a case, and our panel will question them. Then we will have an opportunity for you to make comments but to question anything or anybody that you've heard from. And then our panel will discuss the issue among themselves, but not in executive session. We will hear their deliberation, and they will make a decision. Um, we'll wait one more moment if anybody else would like to come down. Uh, if, if you think that you might be more comfortable on the stage, there's lots of room and there's more chairs. You want to stay on the stairs. Anybody else want to come on down? Please feel free now. We'd rather you did it now than once we get cooking. Anybody else? Okay. We're going to begin now with the book and the challenge. I'm going to first introduce the two people who are going to be presenting that to us. The the passage from the book will be read by Betty Miles. Betty Miles has long been one of the sanest voices in children's literature. Her most recent work is the nonfiction Save the Earth, an action handbook for kids. And some years ago, she predicted this, this meeting, she actually did, in a famous novel called Morty and Me and the Dirty Book. She'll begin our program by reading an excerpt from Naomi in the Middle, which is a 1974 novel by the late Norma Klein. Immediately after Betty reads the passage, the letter of challenge will be read by Stephen Kroll, who is chair of the Penn Children's Book Authors Committee. Stephen is the author, most recently, of Annabelle's Unbirthday and Princess Abigail and the Wonderful Hat. But nobody knows how he's managed to do any writing at all in the last year. He is the main hero of this evening. And he's brave because he's going to read the letter of challenge to Naomi in the middle. We will begin with Betty Miles with the passage from the book.
3: This is the book. It's Naomi in the Middle by Norma Klein. This edition was published by uh, Knopf Bullseye Books in 1989. It's a short book, 53 pages, with very large type and seven full-page illustrations. I'm going to read just about 16 pages of text. I'm going to start in the beginning and read a little bit in the middle, and then I'll read the last chapter, so you'll get a little bit of the flavor of it. Pussy Willows for Mommy. This is how we found out. Daddy came home from work and gave mommy a bunch of flowers. They were pussy willows. He kissed her on the cheek. She gave him a hug. She said, darling, how sweet. Bobo said, pussy willows aren't sweet. They don't even smell. Bobo is nine. Her real name is Barbara, but we call her Bobo. She is very smart and usually quite bossy. She knows a lot of things I don't. That's because I'm only seven. I'm Naomi, and that's what they call me, just Naomi. I wish I had a nickname, but no one ever thought of one. "'Did Mommy tell you the big news?' Daddy asked. Mommy turned pink. She does that sometimes. She said, "'No.' Bobo said, "'What's the big news?' She looked like she didn't think it was going to be something good. "'Come on, tell us.' "'We're having a baby,' Daddy said. "'You're having a baby,' Bobo said to Daddy. "'Don't be silly,' I said. "'How can he? He's a daddy.' Daddy means our family will have a new baby, Mommy said. She had on her shorts because every Friday afternoon she plays tennis. She didn't look like she was going to have a baby. When will it be, Bobo asked. The end of May, said Mommy. I gave her a hug. Thank you, darling, she said. There are getting to be a lot of children in this house, said Bobo. What's wrong with children, Daddy said. Two is enough, said Bobo. You don't need three. We'll stop at three, said Mommy. Don't worry, Bobbs. You'll probably have a hundred, said Bobo. I laughed, and milk came out of my nose. Bobo always makes me do that by saying something silly when I'm drinking my milk. Is the baby there now, I said, looking at Mommy's belly. It wasn't big and round the way Mrs. Weeks, our shop teacher's, belly was when she was pregnant last year. It's there, Daddy said, but it's tiny, just about one inch long. I thought of that baby, one inch long, swimming in mommy's stomach with all that room like a little goldfish in a big bowl. Do you think it will really be so bad, I said to Bobo. We'll see, was all Bobo would say. Bobo plans to run away. What do you hope it is, I said to Bobo. A girl, of course, she said. But we have two girls. I'd rather have a boy. Bobo made a face. "'Boys are noisy. They knock things down. "'So, girls do that sometimes,' I said. "'Boys do it more,' Bobo said. "'Anyway, as long as it's not twins. "'I hate twins. "'They're twice as bad as one regular baby in every way. "'If they have twins, I will leave home.' "'Where would you go?' I said. "'To Grandma,' said Bobo. "'Mommy came in to run our bath. "'Will he have a bath with us if he's a boy?' I asked Bobo. "'Maybe.' Then he might put his penis in our vagina, I said. That's what boys do. They don't do that till they're much older, Bobo said. Sally Cartwell says her brother does it right now, and he's four. The people in your class are crazy, Bobo said. She began to wash her ears with the fish sponge. She says it's a fish. To me, it looks more like a turtle. A Hippopotamus in the Bathtub Tomorrow is April Fool's Day. I have to think how to fool grandma. I think I might tell her there's a hippopotamus in the bathtub. That's no good, said Bobo. She'd know that wasn't true. It's true. It has to be real so it really fools the person. When Bobo came home from school the next day, I said to her, Bo, guess what? Mommy had twins. Oh, quit your old April Fool stuff, she said. How could she? She's not even having the baby until May. It's very hard to fool Bobo. Almost impossible because she always remembers it's April Fool's Day. It's better with people who don't remember. Mommy is getting quite fat. She says that when she takes a a shower, she can't see her feet. That must be funny. You'd wonder, are they still there? Of course, then after you got out of the shower, you could check just to be sure. (laughs) How many children will you have, I asked Bobo. None, she said. I'm not even getting married. Not to anyone, I said. Not even if you met the nicest person in the world. I'm the nicest person in the world, Bobo said, and I can't marry myself. Oh, Bobo, imagine marrying yourself. You would stand next to yourself and the minister would say, do you want to marry yourself? I want to marry someone, but I want to live right near mommy and daddy the way grandma lives near us now. I want to visit them every day. I might adopt a child who's nine years old, Bobo said. Until then, they are just pests. (laughs) Bobo is so mean sometimes for no reason. She knows I'm not a pest. Maybe when I was little I was, but not anymore. I made the worst face I could think of to her back, but she didn't see me. I'm not a pest, Bobo, I said. That's not even true. You used to be worse, Bobo admitted. For supper, we went to Grandma's house the way we always do on Friday. She was in the kitchen. I called, Grandma? Why is there this big pile of mud on your living room floor? Grandma came running in with this very weird expression. Where? she said, looking around. I didn't notice it. Where is it? April Fool, I yelled, jumping around. Oh my goodness, Grandma laughed. I was never so scared. You really fooled me, Naomi, you little devil. I bet even Bobo never fooled anyone that much, ever. The middle of the night. Usually I sleep through the night. Sometimes I have a bad dream and if it's really bad I go into mommy and daddy's room or sometimes I have to go to the bathroom but that's all. But one night daddy came in and woke us up. He said mommy's baby was coming and we had to go to grandma's. We had our bags all packed. We ran in to look at mommy. She was just sitting on the bed. She didn't look any different. I hope it doesn't hurt coming out. Some babies just slide right out, even in elevators or taxi cabs. I hope this one waits till they get to the hospital. Daddy was on the phone calling Grandma. Bobo said, this is nine days too soon. (laughs) You were early too, Bo, Mommy said. Naomi was born right on the day they said. That's unusual, though. We got on our coats. It was really dark the middle of the night. I don't think I was ever up so late before. I was very excited. I held Bobo's hand. Grandma was in a shocking pink bathrobe. That's her favorite color, shocking pink. My favorite is blue, and Bobo's is black. I think she just picks black because no one else does. Call as soon as you know, Grandma said to Daddy. Then they left. We woke you up in the middle of the night, Grandma, I said. No, you didn't, she said. I wasn't asleep yet. I was up reading. Imagine, someone being still up in the middle of the night at two in the morning. Weren't you scared, I said. No, I like the nighttime. She got out our sleeping bags. I'm too excited to sleep. I'm going to make you a very good drink, Grandma said. It will make you sleepy. We all went into the kitchen, and she made this drink for all of us. It was hot milk with sugar and a little rum that you had to pour from a little brown pitcher. I'm drunk, Bobo said, crossing her eyes. She can do that. She was just showing off. We got into our sleeping bags. Bo, I said. What? I hope it doesn't hurt Mommy coming out. Oh, they give you a shot, Bobo said. You go to sleep, and when you wake up, it's all over. I hope it wasn't born in the taxi cab. I fell asleep, but about three seconds later, Grandma came running in yelling, it's a girl. Bobo lifted up her head and muttered, oh, no, another girl. (laughs) You said you wanted a girl, I told her. Everyone in our whole family is a girl, she said. You, me, Mommy, Grandma. I never heard of so many girls except for Daddy, poor thing. Well, he grew up in a family of boys, Grandma said, so maybe it's a nice change for him. After breakfast, we spoke to Daddy on the phone. He said, she looks just like you, Naomi. She's a darling. I was a cute baby, that's true. Bobo wasn't. She had no hair till she was one year old. Did it hurt coming out, I said? Not a bit. I held Mommy's hand, and she was awake the whole time. Didn't she even have a shot? No, she didn't want one. I got drunk, Bobo said. She was on the other extension. On what, Bob's gin? Rum and milk, it's good. She didn't really, I said. I asked Daddy what her name was going to be. Probably Zoe. You said Belinda. We changed our minds. We wanted to name her after Grandma. We ran in and told Grandma, Did you know the baby was going to be named after you? She was having her toast. Isn't that silly? What a name to foist on a child. <laughs> I like it, I said. I hope I don't get mixed up and call the baby Grandma. That would really be silly. <laughs> Grandma let me climb into her lap. Usually, she says she is not the lap type. She kept on drinking her tea. Are you excited, Grandma, about the baby, I asked. So-so, Grandma said. I'm not big on babies, to tell the truth. I never was. They're too little and cuddly. That's just what Bobo says. I like them when they get big and complicated like you and Bobo. I'm not complicated, I said. I'm simple. You're just right for me, Grandma said. She kept on sipping her tea and holding me till Bobo came in and said it was her turn.
0: from an elementary media coordinator in Monument, Colorado. This is from an elementary media coordinator in Monument, Colorado, to whom it may concern. I am sending you six copies of Naomi in the Middle by Norma Klein. These books were chosen by the Book Selection Committee for our R.I.F. Reading as Fundamental project on the basis of the cover blurb and purchased from Gordon's books in Denver. We cannot return them for a refund from Gordon's because they have been stamped with R.I.F. However, when I read this book, I was extremely disappointed to discover on page 11 the mention of penis and vagina. I believe in using the proper words in discussing sexuality with children, but Norma Klein's use of these words is in very poor taste, especially considering that the book is written for second graders. Although children may or may not talk this way, putting it in writing condones such talk and gives it a stamp of approval which is not the message most parents wish to give their children. I do not believe that sex and violence are a necessary part of children's books to increase sales. I hope you will consider some of these comments in your future publishing. Sincerely.
1: I noticed you didn't applaud him. Actually, the way the way you read it, the way you read it, I, I thought you wrote it. Um, we're now going to hear from six uh, our six uh, suspects. Um, each of them is going to make a presentation of around three minutes or so. After about three minutes, I'm going to sort of stand up, which they will find very intimidating, and they'll kind of end up, and our our school board will have a chance to. Uh, ask them questions. Uh, Before we start, once again, um, we have have chairs on stage, unoccupied, and we have actually we have a couple of chairs left on stage. If anybody is uncomfortable and would like to move down, this would be a good moment. Okay. Um, our, Our first witness before our school board is Leanne Katz. Leanne is executive director of the National Coalition Against Censorship, which just recently threw the First Amendment a birthday party. Uh, The fact that they called the birthday party a clear and present danger uh, gives you a sense of the alarm that the organization is feeling. Leanne Katz.
2: Good evening. Thank you. I was called a professional advocate before. I have the good fortune to be paid to carry out educational work about the dangers of censor- censorship and how to oppose it. My organization is the National Coalition Against Censorship which is called NCAC, and we're an alliance of 40 nonprofit organizations, which include religious, artistic and literary, educational, professional, labor, and civil rights groups. These groups include some of the largest and most important in American life, such as the National Council of Churches, the Screen Actors Guild, and the American Library Association. NCAC works to inform and educate people about the dangers of censorship and how to oppose it. Unfortunately, business is very good. Now I'm not here to present the position of our organizations on Naomi in the middle because they don't have one. But all of NCAC's organizations share concerns about censorship and think that it can be a dictatorship over our minds and a dangerous opening to religious, political, artistic, and intellectual repression. I'm assuming tonight that this book is in the school for which you are School the school board. To guarantee fairness in deciding about such important issues as we're facing here, we need to have a procedure for making decisions. That is, how do we go about deciding what we should do? Ordinarily, school boards have policies and procedures which they follow to select the books that they use. Books just don't suddenly appear in schools. They're chosen by trained professionals who have studied about and had experience with and care about young people. When a letter of complaint about a book is sent to a school board, the board usually has a procedure for handling it. It's called a reconsideration or review policy. Usually there's first an informal meeting between the person who's complaining and the teacher or librarian. At that meeting, the teacher or librarian would explain why the book was chosen and ask the complainant whether he or she had read the entire book. Very frequently, they have not. And if they haven't, whether they would be willing to. If the meeting doesn't resolve the matter, then a formal complaint form is given to the person who's complaining. I brought one with me, which has been all filled out by a censor and is very interesting if anyone wants to see it later. It's a complaint about the book Brave New World, and in the place where it says, what would you like your school to do about this item? It says, it would make a good bonfire. It was sent to NCAC by a teacher in North Carolina with whom we worked for many months on this complaint. If the, it, uh, then a review committee is appointed, usually made up of a number of teachers, librarians, and often a parent. This committee gathers information such as reviews of the book when it was published, how the book was used, and often asks others to come and testify and share their ideas about the book, its appropriateness, and its use. Eventually, the committee presents a written report to the school board with its recommendation. So I'm going to assume that all of that has already happened and that the school board really has a recommendation tonight from its reconsideration committee, although we don't know what the committee said. But usually, I can tell you from experience, they recommend no action. That is, they defend the book. Now, school boards have the power to ignore their committee's recommendation, but that isn't a power that good school boards usually exercise. Good school boards don't usually interfere in educational decisions. They don't dictate the specifics of what must or must not go on in a classroom. They delegate those positions, those decisions, to the educators. That's why we use teachers and librarians. Restrictive decisions are made by boards which don't trust kids and want to dictate to them what, they th- what kids should think about and read. I think that's morally wrong. And besides, I don't think it ever works. Furthermore. Once school boards start down the path of censorship, they invite demands for more and more of it. It can be a terrible precedent. I thought Naomi in the Middle was adorable and natural and discussed real feelings. I think there are very few of us who don't have some misunderstandings about sex and that Naomi's misunderstanding is one, not such a big deal, and two, a wonderful occasion for young kids to think and ask questions and learn openly. I think that's what education is supposed to be about. Also, don't you think that a decision to restrict the book can send a message that sex is bad and something to be secretive about when all of us really need a lot to, n- to know more and not less. NCAC, my organization, works very hard on a lot of school censorship issues, and there are a lot. We know too much about demands for censorship in the schools, and I hope we'll have a chance to discuss some of the things that people object to a lot and complain about a lot. We also have a lot of information about what schools should do before censorship strikes and afterwards. If you don't like an idea, you have a responsibility not to censor it, but to answer it. It's an interesting thing. Most people have no idea that school censorship is a serious problem. But the people who do know only too well our teachers and librarians and school administrators. And we have to send them the message that they shouldn't be afraid because censorship really only protects ignorance. Thank you.
1: Well, this was a, a professional advocate, and I hope the school board is not going to roll over for her. Uh, come on, let's. Uh, who would like to begin the questioning? Anybody have any questions for Leanne Katz? Bank Street is caucusing here. Uh, no questions? Um,
4: I have a question.
1: Okay, David Orr from Bankstream. Um,
4: Do you think parents have the right to tell their children what they can and can't read?
2: I can't say I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. That's a classic question which parents often ask in a very hostile way. They say, don't you think I have the right to tell my child what to read. And I confess, I don't always give my completely honest answer. I think kids should have the right to decide for themselves what to read. But what I always say is, a parent may have the right to decide what his or her own children should read, but certainly doesn't have that right for other people's children.
1: Another question? Uh, Diana
5: Delgado. Um, um, parents are like embarrassed to talk about sex to each other, let alone their children. <laughs> so if it has to come from and a place outside the home, shouldn't it come from a book instead of like a child in in the class or outside?
2: Well, of course, I think books are wonderful and precious things. That doesn't mean that I think that everything that's in a book is right. The world's a complicated place and a lot of books are very complicated. Just because it's in a book doesn't necessarily mean it's absolutely true. But it does make you think, and that's a wonderful thing. And, of course, in general, I agree very strongly with what you said.
1: Adriana Nova? Uh, yeah.
6: Is this thing on? Um, I just got two questions for you. Are you a parent? Yes, I am. I have two kids. Okay. Um, Let's say, for instance if this book was given to a preschool teacher or a kindergarten teacher to read to her kids, and your kid was among them. And on page 11, the subjects that are on that page came up when the, teachers men- when the teacher mentioned those words. And one thing led to another, and the kids got into a discussion about sex. How would you feel on the teacher coaching the kids about sex instead of yourself?
2: I'd feel fine about it. I know that my kids are going to learn a lot all through their lives that doesn't only come from me. I'm going to do my best to teach my kids my own values or anyway what my values are. But they're going to have to eventually sort things out and decide things for themselves. And the way to make them able to do that is to expose them to a variety of ideas and opinions. So does that mean you would trust the teacher's judgment on the way
6: she goes about talking about sex?
2: I hope that my kids will discuss things with me, too. Uh, um, Certainly in general, I'm... um, uh, eager for my kids to be exposed to uh, all kinds of information and ideas. Um, that, that There's no perfect trust in this world, uh, but, but I don't need to worry so much about something like this.
1: you have time for one more quick question. Derek Brown. Um, that- I want to pull the mic a little closer.
7: Don't you, don't you think considering the sexual abuse that many, many of the children have to deal with, readers may get the wrong idea about sex with family, member, with family members because Barbara is too young to explain to Naomi?
2: Do you think that a four-year-old might abuse somebody or a six-year-old? because of reading something like this don't you think it's more likely that they'll either really ignore it because it's just one little thing that kind of goes by them or if they if they talk about it or don't ignore it that they'll see the humor in it after all they were 4 years old
7: well y- well some kids they mature faster than others and and some people they don't um they don't know exactly what understand what people, what they, um what, what the books mean. So they it could just encourage them to say to think something else. I th-
2: I thought that the passage um, showed showed how how um, innocent the children were and how free and open they were in discussing their feelings. It's only
1: our first speaker. Let off the hook now. <laughs> this is what happens when teachers prepare kids. Good start. Uh, our our second our second witness is is a writer. A lot of kids unfortunately, including my kids, thought for a long time she was the only writer. Um, <laughs> Judy Blume has been one of the most influential writers in America because she's been one of the most truthful to younger readers. This has also made her one of the most controversial. Her most recent book is fudge Judy Blume.
8: <laughs> Leanne, I know I saw that you had trouble. Look, do we look here or do we look here? Are we addressing the school board? We're addressing the school board here. Okay. Um, Whoever looks least hostile to you. I can't see anything without my glasses, except I can read. <laughs> so nobody looks hostile. <laughs> um, the only real antidote to censorship is education, and a. Ce- An essential part of education is learning to make informed, rational decisions, and that's why I wanted to participate in tonight's program, because I'm so pleased that you guys and your teachers um, have been working on a unit about censorship since the beginning of the school year. For many, many years, I've, I've kind of yelled my way across the country that unless readers get involved, and that means readers of all ages, I mean, we are for the most part, talking about students um, when, when, when censorship is an issue. And unless kids themselves get involved and understand what's going on and care enough to do something, then the censors are just going to walk all over you. Um, too often books are challenged in classrooms and school libraries out of fear. Fear on the part of some adult who doesn't want to deal with either la- the language or the issues in a book and fear can be contagious. It can lead to a kind of group hysteria. That's why it's so important for schools and school boards to have policies in place before they're hit with such a challenge. Tonight's letter of challenge, though, strikes me as an odd one. Um, I doubt that such a letter would actually lead to a meeting of the school board, so even though um, Bob and Leanne have also made assumptions, I've made an assumption here that Mrs. Edmonds, Ms. Edmonds, who, who wrote that letter of challenge, sent a copy of her letter to the local school board requesting a hearing on Naomi in the middle. And what I think would happen then, because it happens all too often, is that she would also say, "And let's, um, and let's look at all of Norma Klein's books, because if this book is like this, then who knows what are in the other books. And I know from personal experience that that often happens. Um, So I'm going to look at Ms. Edmonds' objections to the book. She doesn't like the use of the words penis and vagina, although she says she believes in using the proper words in discussing sexuality with children. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Does she mean, then, that she doesn't like the words penis and vagina used naturally by children in conversation, or is it what Bobo and Naomi said in this particular conversation that she objects to. I don't think she's really clear, and if she were here, I would like to ask her these questions. Is there any kid who hasn't heard outrageous stories about sexuality, either in school or on the way to school? School buses for my kids, that's where it all happened. Boy, did they come home with questions. Sexual gossip, sexual jokes, sexual misinformation is a part of every child's life, which is exactly why we need books like Naomi in the Middle, to help open discussions between parents and children. Now, Ms. Edmonds may consider the book in poor taste, but professional reviewers don't necessarily agree with her. And I have a couple here, but I'll read to you just from one starred review in um, Booklist, which is a professional Uh, magazine for librarians and teachers. The action and dialogue in this book seem more in tune with a kind of protagonist neglected lately in juvenile literature, a healthy child with understanding parents who are secure in their love for each other and for her. Ms. Edmonds says she doesn't believe that sex and violence are a necessary part of children's books, and she implies that they are used to increase sales. But something is wrong here, because Naomi in the Middle is a warm and loving story of family life. And it makes me cry (laughs) to hear Betty read that beautiful book. But that's another story. There is no violence in this book, and by sex... Does she mean two young children chatting in the bathtub about body parts? Or are sex and violence catchwords designed to cause an hysterical reaction? She doesn't like the message that it's okay to talk about such things naturally and with humor. But what message is she sending young readers by trying to remove Naomi? There's something in this book that's bad, there's something that can harm you. So today I asked myself, can a few words in a book harm a child? I don't think so. What might happen if a child reads Naomi on her own? Well, it could lead to questions. Mom, Dad, what does this mean? But questions are healthy, aren't they? Or it could lead to a discussion about how what you hear at school or on the street isn't necessarily the truth, especially when it comes to sexuality. It could even give a parent the perfect opportunity to say, you can always come to me with your questions, and I'll try to tell you the truth. Or it could lead to a discussion of how babies are made or it could lead to a fit of the giggles. But it will not lead to incestuous behavior, as one angry mother wrote to me about Naomi. Here's something from her letter. Do you actually believe in promoting that incest is okay? For if you read the context of page 11, folks, that's where the bottom line is. Excuse the pun. You folks have just helped promote the sick way our society teaches sex education. That letter was sent to me because Naomi in the Middle is dedicated to me. I think it is her letter and others like it, including Ms. Edmonds, that reflects a sickness of fear, often disguised as moral outrage, that causes far more damage than any book can cause. There's always going to be somebody out there who can find something to object to in any book, especially if it's written for or read by kids. The danger isn't taking the easy way out and removing the book. The cost of fear is great. And as always, it's greatest to young readers. Thank you.
1: guys, before we start, could bring your microphones closer, closer to you, because they were really require. Let's, let's forget, this is Judy Blume.
8: I'm not good at this. Is this letter just you know, came <laughs> to your small town, and we not going to
1: let her get away with this. Who would like to begin?
8: I, I like to think that this school board represents both sides. You.
1: I'm trying to Max make three. trouble. <laughs>
9: um, Would you think that a child would talk with another child about the book, and
8: would that be good or bad? Oh, I think it's... I mean, sure, kids are going to maybe read and giggle. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny to see those words in print. It's reassuring in a way, because they're just words. So I think that's fine. I I don't think that a child... Are you asking me if I think the child might go to another child for information? Yeah. Well, I think kids do that, and I think that, that... um, that's a fact of life, and that, that the antidote to, getting to, to your children getting all his or her information about sexuality from friends is to get it at home. And if you're not afraid to talk to your kids at home from the earliest ages, I mean, we're talking now about kids who can read already for the most part. They're going to be reading Naomi. So um, one would hope that long before they knew that they could come to their mother or father, Um, And that's a parent's job, really. That's part of a job.
1: Question? Christina, did you have your hand up? No. Adriana?
6: Um, In the Bible, I think it's the book of Judges or something like that. I'm not sure which chapter it is, but there's a story about a man and his mistress. And him and his mistress are hunted down in a field by another group of men who then rape the woman and then... For to seek revenge on the on the men or something to get, I think it is to get to turn them in. The man cuts his mistress up into twelve pieces and sends all the different pieces of her body to I think it's like dukes or something in the land. Um, How do you feel about your child reading this in the Bible?
3: (laughs) Um.
8: anyway. You know, I, I would rather kids be allowed to read anything than to restrict what they can read. I think it is more dangerous. And I have found through kids who write to me that um, kids are their own best censors. If they're uncomfortable with something, if it makes them uneasy, they close the book and put it down. We're not talking about books that kids are being forced to read in school.
6: Okay, I, I asked you that because you say like you know, you make it seem like Naomi, you know, it's kinda senseless, but I mean, this is the book we're supposed to live by and I mean I don't wanna live like that
8: or anything, so well I think it right, it and it, it depends on on um on how you see the Bible and what your religion tells you about the Bible.
1: Christina Punas
8: Um Don't you think
10: that you would rather hear the word penis and vagina from a young child than hear it in the improper way, which I'm not going to say?
8: Would I? Yes, and and sexuality educators will tell you and urge you as parents to always use the proper body names from the earliest, from the time you're diapering the baby. Don't give these private parts um funny names. Just say penis and vagina. It's really easy. If everybody would just say it, penis and vagina, penis and vagina, it's just no big deal. It's, it's because, you, you know, it's because people get really tense about saying it. But if we did that a lot, you know, it's just a word. It
1: could be a cheer for the Bank football team. Me
8: too,
11: Okay. Um, do you feel that um, parents that... Um, that judge what their children read. Do you think that the children of those parents could someday bounce back and get angry at their parents for telling them what not and to what not and what to read?
8: Um, yeah, I think honesty is always the best bet. I'll tell you a little story. And I know there's no time for little stories, but I'm going to anyway. When my son was in fourth grade, um, there was a kid in his class who said the way um, the way mommies get pregnant is that God sprinkles dust on their belly button and then a a baby grows. And Larry said like Bobo said, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard and that is not how uh, women get pregnant and that's not how they have babies. And he told him his version which came out of the book we had at home called How Babies Are Made. And this little boy went home and was furious at his mother for having told him this story and having made him look like a fool in front of his friends, it's always better, I think, to deal with the truth. It's it's so much easier to tell the truth. You so, yeah.
1: One more, Clinton from,
12: uh. um, if your daughter was to come home and and say that she was pregnant because she read Naomi in the Middle, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then they encouraged her to have sex, what would you do? <laughs>
10: <laughs>
12: um,
8: I wouldn't believe her for a second. <laughs> I, you know, people find all kinds of excuses. They're, they're very good at making excuses, especially adults, I think. Um, I, I once had a letter from an angry woman who told me that her daughter had read one of my books and then this and this and this and this happened in her life because she needed to find somebody to blame. She couldn't blame herself. Um, she didn't want to think... She, she needed to find that scapegoat. And so I don't think um, that healthy kids uh, read a book and then act out and say the book made me do it. It's like the devil made me do it. It just doesn't work that way, and I don't believe it. Thank
1: you very much. Thank you. We have a real live editor with us, which is always exciting. Francis Foster is editor-at-large at Alfred A. Knopf Books for Young Readers. She was Norma Klein's editor at Knopf. She's also worked with Betty Miles and with Roald Dahl. Frances Foster.
13: And I have laryngitis, which might be a very effective form of censorship. She's not As an editor, I'm always looking for books that, in the course of telling a good story, expand readers' horizons. I'm interested in books that can open up communication between parents and teachers and children, especially about subjects that parents often find difficult to talk about or to initiate on their own. Many parents and I think we all know this, are really uncomfortable talking about sex with their children. They put it off, thinking or hoping there's going to be a perfect time that will come along when they are ready to talk about it and when the children are ready to listen. But I think we all know that that's not the way life usually works. As parents and educators, I think we have to be ready to confront the difficult subjects when they're thrust upon us. The Persian Gulf War forced all of us to talk about war. And I think this went on in homes and classrooms across the country. Magic Johnson's disclosure of testing HIV positive pushes the discussion of AIDS down to five-year-olds. In the world we live in, I think it's imperative that children have accurate information about human sexuality. Children from the ages of five to eight and younger than that have to know the proper names of parts of the body, and they should know what those parts are for, what they do. They should also know that there are pleasures in sex as well as dangers. It makes me both angry and sad to see people overlook the perfect and easy opportunity that a book like Naomi in the Middle gives them to talk about the most basic facts of life, including the difference between boys and girls, men and women, how babies are born, how they're made. And I think those who seek to ban or limit the reading of this book are really not facing up to their responsibility to provide children with the information that they need to develop healthy attitudes about sex and their own sexual safety. Some of the people who write in to us to complain about this book claim that the material is inappropriate to seven-year-olds. But Norma Klein, as a writer and a mother, and she wrote this book 20 years ago, knew that seven was the age to reach. Sevens have enough maturity to deal with this, and they have the interest. And according to recent statistics that were published in the National Child Abuse Hotline, seven is the average age of a, of a child victim of abuse, and this includes sexual abuse as well as other forms. I think parents and educators have to ask themselves how they would rather have their children learn about sex from a bad experience, or from other six, seven, and eight-year-olds on the school bus or in the playground, or from a respected writer of children's books who really dedicated her whole writing career to helping children and young people develop healthy attitudes about their own sexuality. I can easily understand parents wishing to have control over what their children see and hear. But I think one of the big tasks facing all parents is to learn how to respond creatively to the many situations and moments that are out of their control. I can think of no more natural way to talk about reproduction and sexuality with children than in the context of a story like Naomi in the Middle about two sisters who are ages seven and nine who are wondering about every aspect of their mother's pregnancy and the addition of a new baby in the family. What better way and what safer way to learn than through fiction like this that reflects very honest, gentle truths about ourselves and our lives.
1: Don't have a chance to attack editors too often. Diana Delgado. To excuse me. You have to
5: get Do you think that if you were the editor of this book, would you in any way censor or alter alter Norma Klein's
9: words?
13: If I no I would certainly discuss this book with her as I do with any work I work on. I would know that well for instance, let's take the the lines that are most often an issue with, with parents and that's when Naomi and her brother and her sister are in the bathtub and Naomi says that boys put their penises and girls vaginas I think you know quite honestly I probably would have caught my breath when I came to that in the manuscript and I would have said uh oh this is going to be trouble but I would have thought about it and I would have thought you know this is Naomi's seven years old and she speaks so honestly this is the kind of thing exactly what Naomi would say it would sound very true to me and I would also know that how important it was to Norma Klein to be very honest in what she wrote. So the things I might question would be um, if if uh, something happened that seemed or something was said that seemed so out of character. This this I wouldn't have questioned.
1: Derek Brown, you want to bring the mic real close, guys.
13: Right
7: in. Bobo's, Bobo said the baby the baby got here got there by daddy putting his penis in you. I um I don't I don't think I'd like that. When you're old when you're old enough, you'll like it, Mommy said. Most people do. It's just like hugging someone, but part of them is inside of you. Uh, th- there's no mention of safe sex or sex between parents only. Do you think that's responsible attitude?
13: Well, first of all, these, this is sex between a married couple. And I think that, that, that you know, they, this was a, a monogamous situation. I think this was safe sex. Uh, and they were probably also trying to have a baby, and that's the best way to have a baby.
7: (laughs) way. it's the only way.
1: It was also written in 1974. Right,
13: Um, that's important, too. Okay,
3: um,
11: do you feel that Norma Klein wrote this book um, partly to open the discussion of sex between parents and children?
13: I think Norma Klein was very much concerned about children growing up to have positive sexual images of themselves. And I I do think this would be important to her, to to give children a way to think about sex and to to open up doors through which they could talk about it with their parents.
1: We have time for one more. Rodolfo (laughs) Rivera from St. Bridges.
9: If you were the editor of Naomi and that book was censored,
13: how'd you feel after all that revising? <laughs> I'd feel really mad hmm? i I would I think it's a good book, and I think it's an important book i i mean it it does open up discussions, and unfortunately, uh the word seems to have gotten around that. There are bad words in it and it's it's of all of these books we publish this is one of the ones that has been hurt in its sales and it's mostly I think because people totally misunderstand what it's about most of the people who write into us about it have only read those four lines on page 11 and have no idea that this is about a, a loving family, and that there's so much that's important and, and good to read about in here. Thank you very much.
1: Karen. We're now going to start meeting some of the real trench warriors uh, in, in censorship. First, a librarian. Geraldine Clark is the retired director of the New York City School Library System and of the School Library Services for the New York City Board of Education. Uh, Her her retirement is kind of a misnomer because she is currently an adjunct professor of library services at Pratt Institute. Jerry Clark.
14: This is a delightful, funny, and wonderful book which rang true in its dialogue and in its picture of the way in which children develop. My concern has been with helping librarians devise criteria for selecting materials and building library collections. And the bottom line. Um, for for including anything in a children's collection is to look at what it does in helping children um, explore their world and their place in it. We need to look at why children read, very much for the same reasons we do, to confirm their experience, to broaden their experience, to test their knowledge, And we need always, and I sometimes think we forget this, when we frequently talk about collections, we talk about the books before we talk about the children. Basic to developing any library collection is to look at the person for whom you are selecting, to look at the stage at which a child is and what a child needs to know. And I I said earlier, someone, I think we all forgot our Piaget when we saw a couple of words in a book. We need to to know that seven-year-olds are looking out and finding a world that's broader, that includes other people besides their family, with other ideas besides those which their family holds, They need a way of exploring and looking at these ideas and testing what they've heard at home with what they're now learning. Um, To me, this is not really a book about sex, although sex is very important to it. It's a book about relationships. It's a book about a child who is learning to think logically, but who cares about what this new baby is going to mean in her relationship, with her mother, are there going to be still quiet times when we can get together, whether this new baby is going to be bossy like her older sister, um, who needs a sense of herself and who speaks the way children naturally speak uh, about sexual concerns. This is not an obsession. This is not dominant. An important thing is happening. And if you look at the dialogue, it's just as important perhaps to to have a chance to look at color TV, at grandma's, as it is um, to know what happens with the penis and the vagina. I am um, concerned that a complainant and a librarian um, who says she wants to use proper terminology, uh, begins to wonder if children talk this way. I certainly hope children talk this way. Um, I said also earlier that I have a three-year-old great-nephew who has known for quite a number of years that he has a penis. I don't know whether he yet knows um, that his friends in nursery school may have a penis or may have a vagina, but I hope by the time he's seven, he will have been able to discover the distinction. Um, We—it It is very important that children have the freedom to spontaneously discuss with other children and with adults their concern in a natural setting. And I think this happens here. And I think the focus is so much on uh, a family, a family's development, not only the immediate nuclear family, but the inclusion of the grandmother, and an opportunity for children to understand that there are many ways of looking at what goes on in this world and a chance for them to openly explore it. For librarians, I think the concern is to provide for children a variety of kinds of attitudes and viewpoints so that children may have the opportunity to develop this ability to look critically at what they read. And when I say look critically, to look at the ideas. Our complainants, and probably for very practical political reasons, speaks of the ideas that upset her and which may upset parents. She does not talk about the development of children and and children's needs. And as someone whose major concern is with making the possibility for children to explore, providing the materials for children to explore giving people the feeling that one must take risks. All of us would love to protect all of those whom we love from all of the possible hazards of living in this world. I don't think that's possible. What seems to me the role of the librarian and the teacher is, is to make it more possible for our children to cope with those things which they will meet, to develop confidence in their own judgment, and their own abilities to relate to people, and to explore the ideas these people come forth with.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ardenea, Ardenea Morgan.
9: Oh what do you think about people censoring books? I mean, How do you feel about people censoring books in your library?
14: Well, I I would hope that people would not (laughs) censor books in any library. I want to go back to the point, however, of finding out as much as we can about what children understand at what age. The reason I have been so supportive of this book is that this, to me, is a real seven-year-old. This youngster speaks the way seven-year-olds I know speak. She has the interest and the needs, and the concerns are there. I think we sometimes can have legitimate differences of opinion about you know, at what point a child is ready to deal with certain things, but if we look at the children and we look at the young people, I think we get the proper cues. David Orr?
4: Well, I have a question, and I, um, I also have a Quick comment. Um, I, um, books, I think, are very influential, especially when I was seven, I remember, you know, when I was younger, I remember I'd read something or I'd hear something and then I'd think that that was right. And then I'd read something else and either I'd say that that was totally wrong or I'd say, well, the other thing's wrong and this is right. And, you know, it had a big influence on in what I thought. And so since books are so influential, Do you think that a book that was written for seven-year-olds, I think, um, should so openly discuss sex?
14: Yes, I certainly do, because sex is part of life, and seven-year-olds are discovering more and more about it. And I think, again, the important point is, does the book discuss it in terms that seven-year-olds can understand? I also think I might add that what many young people... Children don't understand. Uh, is, is meaningless to them. They pass over it if it if it meets the need. If it's something that interests them, they'll explore it a little bit more fully.
4: Okay. Um, I just said. Um, well, this was just about when you said that libra- about librarians and teachers should help people understand. I don't remember exactly what you said, but I think librarians and teachers have a place there, but. I think that um, discussing sex is sort of a, you know, it's a hard topic to discuss. And I think that parents should take the first step. So
14: I, I would agree with you, but again, as we have noted, every child doesn't have the opportunity to talk with the parent. And it's, it's not always the talking. Sometimes you read a book and you want to talk with someone about it. Sometimes you read a book and you just want to think about it. What you've read, and uh, it's it's making the opportunity available. That's important. The choice should be the young person's. Thank you
1: from Central Park East, from Street.
12: Do you think this book is appropriate for third and fourth graders, or do or should they wait a couple of years before reading it? Who knows? They may take it the wrong way and go out and explore, I mean, experience, experiment with sex.
14: Well, we, I think all of us who are in the book business hope books have an impact and, and are influential. But again, I think this book is very appropriate for third and fourth graders because, it, because this is the stage in which these ideas begin to come, which people first talk about it. It's a natural um, setting because there is going to be a new baby in the family. And it's very likely that these are the kinds of questions a 7th and 8th grader, uh, I'm sorry, a 7th and eight year old would be asking. So I, I think, as I said, we, there's always a chance that people will misuse anything. But we can't uh, Simply sent with blinders on because something may be misused. One more question, <coughs>
1: Adriana.
6: Um, seeing as how you, uh, as how librarians pick out books for little kids, um, all we've been touching on is sex in the book and the mentions of the word vagina and penis. But um, on pages forty-nine and fifty, there's a um, couple of sentences about their grandmother making them rum and milk. Um, now, maybe seven-year-olds may not know that much about sex, but I assume at that time some people know about, you know, drinking and stuff like that. I mean, you know, do not do you feel kind of bad? You know, do you feel reluctant to give this to, um, to people these age who may just go out and experiment with their parents' vodka or something like that? <laughs>
14: well... <laughs> Now, I happen to be a teetotaler, <laughs> but <laughs> um, once again, I think youngsters have to learn that different families live in different, different ways. This may again give rise to a question. I said earlier, I think this book is about relationships. It's about the way in which the grandmother, the father, the mother, the sisters all relate to each other. It, it might well Lead to a discussion of the use of liquor. It, it might be a family in which liquor has been a problem. But again, books stimulate thinking and hopefully lead to greater exploration.
10: Um, you skipped the part on page 30 where it says, Mommy, let me wash her back. I squeeze the water over her and she said it felt good. She has funny crinkly hair between her legs that looks like moss. She says, I will have it too. I hope it doesn't itch. Now, do you think this is appropriate or would you censor it from your library?
14: No, I wouldn't censor that either because it's a normal development that grow, goes along with maturing. And once again, it is not a big point for her. She is observing something that she's seeing for the first time and asking about it. And when children feel comfortable and parents feel comfortable, then um, these kinds of questions can be uh, discussed. And as a number of, I think our school board members have said, it's preferable for these discussions to take place between children and parents. But a book... Might give a child the courage to initiate the conversation, or hopefully, some parents are reading these books too, uh, and it might give the parents the <coughs> confidence to initiate the discussion.
1: Folge librarians were front line warriors, uh, and now another one. Uh, George Burns has been a teacher here at Bank Street uh, for 13 years. His students include eight and nine year olds and graduate computer students. Um, David Orr says he's a terrific teacher, but David Orr may just be softening him up for a tough question. George Burns.
15: As an educator and as a parent, I know that long before elementary school starts, children become very interested and curious about what it means to be a girl or to be a boy. They are certainly aware of their own bodies and take pleasure in them, exploring who they are physically and trying to articulate it verbally. Girls try to figure out boys' bodies as well, and boys try to figure out girls' bodies. They both spend a lot of time trying to figure out the bodies of their parents and other adults. This was made clear to me a long time ago when I first started working in a daycare center. I was in the bathroom with a group of three-year-olds, making sure they peed before taking their naps. One girl sitting sitting on a potty looked up at me and announced, You have a peanuts. (laughs) Being very inexperienced at the time, I thought she was talking about peanuts. So I said, No, I don't. She let out a big laugh and said, Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) And when I looked at the heads of the other children as they sat on their potties and saw them nodding in agreement, I understood. I nodded back, embarrassed, and said, "Uh, Yeah, I guess that's right. This natural curiosity continues as children continue to grow. They may grow more self-conscious and become modest about their bodies, but they also grow more observant, more experienced, and more aware. And they continue to be filled with endless questions about what it means to be a boy or a girl. For every small question that gets answered, many more new questions arise. So when I read Naomi in the middle, it was not at all surprising. In fact, it seemed perfectly natural to find Bobo and Naomi sitting in the bath discussing penises and vaginas. They weren't being lewd or even silly. Naomi was just trying to figure it all out and she felt comfortable enough to say so. Later on, Naomi feels comfortable enough with her mother to talk about how the baby was made. And her mother responds in an honest and reassuring way. But Naomi's in the privacy of her own home, and just a character in a book anyway. What about second graders all across the country reading this book and thinking about these things in school? I can just see it. First, I can imagine the unsuspecting child who goes up to the teacher and asks what this unfamiliar word is. The poor kid almost drops dead when the teacher turns and says, penis. But the teacher is fine about it. The teacher's read the book and is comfortable. The child staggers back to his seat, recovers and reads and rereads the passage a few times. First in astonishment, then in pleasure, then in puzzlement, and finally in relief. Astonished, because these words don't turn up in the curriculum so often. in pleasure, because these words do have their exciting connotations. Puzzled, because your average second grader hasn't figured all this stuff out. And relieved, because it's so reassuring to know that other children think about their bodies and don't quite get it yet either. And since the teacher in that small exchange seemed fine about it, well, the child thinks, I guess this is really Okay. It's possible these p- pages will be re- reread many times. And maybe, if the child feels comfortable, the book will get passed on to a friend with a hearty recommendation. In my experience as a teacher, it's become quite apparent that children have two very clear needs <clears throat> in terms of understanding themselves sexually. First, they need to feel comfortable about expressing their questions and concerns. And second, they need clear and honest information. This book can lay the groundwork for allowing both of these things to happen, and it desperately needs to happen and to be done well in schools as well as at home. Actually, I think the most striking thing about the exchanges between Naomi and Bobo and Naomi and her mother is that they were written in a much more innocent age. Children have even bigger questions and bigger fears today than they did in 1974, and they are thinking about them as they sit at home watching TV and as they sit in our classrooms. If Naomi were a seven-year-old today, you can bet she would be asking the same questions. But she'd also want to know what condoms are for, and why would somebody want an abortion, and can I get AIDS like I got chickenpox from my next-door neighbor. Her fictional mother might be hard-pressed to be so reassuring. This week, schools all across the nation have been in great need of books that would help children come to terms with all their questions, fears, concerns, and confusion about Magic Johnson. I wish I had more such books in my own classroom but I do have an environment where children feel free to talk about it. It would be a crime to take this book out of a classroom or school library, a crime committed by someone who probably still thinks, as Naomi did, that penis is a very funny word. We need to make books like this more available, not less.
7: Don't you think if a movie like Child's Play can influence a child, um, a book a book talking about sex can do the same.
15: Yes, I would hope that this book would influence a child. I think you're comparing completely different things though. Child's play is designed to scare the living daylights out of children and will do that. This book is designed to do something very different.
1: David Orr. Better make this good, David.
4: Okay. Um, um, I've so- said sort of the same thing several times but do you think that children's fears should be brought up at home rather than at school?
15: <clears throat> children aren't just afraid at home they're afraid on the way to school they have fears in school I think if uh, children are the- thinking these things in classrooms they should feel comfortable enough to talk about them
14: Rudolpho? Would you
9: being a teacher, would you talk about sex and different men and women body parts in your class?
15: Yes, I do. We spend a lot of time talking about it in my classroom and um, it's amazing how comfortable children become and how many questions they have and that need to be asked, answered
1: Ayer?
9: you were talking about all this stuff. would you ever censor a book?
15: would I ever censor a book um, I imagine there, is, there, there would probably be a book that could be brought into my classroom that I would think would be entirely inappropriate for a child to read. What? But it, um, I imagine something that had you know pictures of horrible violence and graphic sex that just did not seem to be appropriate for a third grader. I, I think I would think twice about why that book was in my classroom.
9: But what if the parent think that they should read that?
15: Then it's time for a parent conference.
13: <laughs> um,
9: do you find it difficult explaining sexual situations to a child not being their parent?
15: When I first began to have such discussions with kids, it was. Um, it, it took me a while to be comfortable, and now I feel completely comfortable. And having my own children now, I feel prepared to deal with my children at home as well.
1: Um
11: Do you feel that if the book, if a book like Gnome in the Middle was written now, um, in 1991, that the issue of safe, of safe sex would be brought up more often? I mean, do you feel that people would expect that in the book?
15: I don't think this, I don't think, as other people have said, that really sex is so much the issue in this book. This is a book about families and and, it, and safe sex is in this book. Um, so I, I don't think it, this book really needs it.
1: Christina?
10: Hey, um, you say it would be a crime to censor a book, but I don't think anyone has the right to censor a book because they don't want their child reading it because then it's depriving other kids from reading it.
15: I, I and absolutely... The state,
10: and then you say you, if there was a book that you didn't think w- was appropriate for your class, you say you wouldn't... <laughs> What? <laughs> oh no! You say that you would censor a book when she asked you a question.
15: Okay, I, I think I would. I would really wonder about whether that book was an appropriate book to be in my classroom, which is Did a little you bit. Censor it? I didn't. I don't know whether I would take the book away from the child or ask the child to read it on their own while I quickly called their parents at the office. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh,
16: you want to follow that up, Christina, or are going to let them off the okay.
14: Excuse me.
1: Do you want to let him off the hook right now or do you want Yeah. To- okay. <laughs> Thank
6: you, Christine. Adriana Nova? Um, le- <clears throat> Hello? Oh, okay. Let, let's say you were at your house, right, and you were planning tomorrow's day lesson, you know, whatever. How would you go about teaching a sex lesson to your um, class?
15: She has hard questions. Um, how would I go about planning it? Well, Actually, I have a number of very good books which I would be happy to show the school board. No, no, no.
6: I mean, how would you go about teaching them yourself about sex?
15: That's what I'm telling you. Oh. That okay. I, <laughs> when I begin to teach my class about sex and when we begin to open up this discussion, um, I start off with a book called Girls are Girls and Boys are Boys, So What's the Difference? Um, and it's a book that very quickly and very um, gently but very directly opens up the kinds of questions that the children who are 8 and 9 in my classroom have already in their heads. Um, and I read them the book, and they giggle, and they squirm, and they are <coughs> totally enthralled by the book. And then I ask them if they have questions. And after that, we spend about three weeks trying to answer every single question that they, that they ask. Robyn.
12: Um, If your child came to you at a young age and asked you about sex, would you lie to them?
15: Uh, No, no. In fact, I have a five-year-old, and and over the past six months after watching two uh, um, pronghorn deer mating on Wild America, um, the subject was opened up in
2: my family. (laughs) (laughs)
17: <laughs>
1: Where were you guys when we needed you at the Clarence Thomas hearings? <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, of course, the, the buck stops with the parents. And we even have one of those <laughs> with us tonight. Uh, Lori Johnson is the co coordinator of Project Equal. That's a New York City Board of Education program to develop awareness of stereotyping in literature and in society, and to promote diversity in children's literature. However, Lori is with us tonight as a parent. She is the mother of two boys aged eight and two, the elder of which is a pupil here at Bank Street. Lori Johnson.
18: I know we have some other parents out here too, right? Okay. I'm here tonight to talk about censorship and children from a parent's perspective. To understand how parents might feel about this issue, I think we have to first look at some of the basic responsibilities of parents, including protecting their children, teaching a sense of morality, and imparting values. Parents are ultimately responsible for their child's well-being, growth, and development, and all you parents know that's a heavy responsibility. When a child is small, this means being constantly aware of what they're doing, what their brother or sister is doing to them, and so on. And as the child grows, the parent-child relationship grows too, and there are new concerns. At age five, or sometimes a lot younger, your child leaves your family and goes to school and spends a good part of each day with other adults you may not know too well and who may or may not share the same values as you. This requires a leap of faith by parents, and it doesn't come without worries. Parents worry about whether their child is learning to read and write and do math, whether the schoolwork is too challenging or not challenging enough, whether he or she is making friends, and whether the teacher really knows your child and recognizes his or her uniqueness as a person. And increasingly, parents realize that the children of today, their children, are exposed to a complex and sometimes confusing world of images. Even before children can read for themselves, the TV news, pictures in the supermarket, magazines, scenes on our city streets bombard our children with negative images. Some parents respond by trying to assert greater control, thinking that this will protect their children from the harshness of reality. And when school-aged children learn to read, the power of words is unlocked. I think books sometimes become a scapegoat for the societal and family issues we have not resolved. Parents may object to their child reading a particular book because it's an, about an issue they feel uncomfortable about, or one in which they are unsure of their own feelings. Or they may question a book that contains ideas and actions that are contrary to their own value system. They may even see a child's assertion of independence in reading as a rejection of all that they stand for. At this point, I want to emphasize um, an important aspect of this discussion. First of all, I think parents have the right to question and speak out against what they don't like and what they think is harmful to their child. And schools have a responsibility to be accountable. Teachers and librarians should be prepared to defend why they have included or not included particular books in the library and the curriculum. As a parent, I have my own set of concerns. I want my sons to read about girls and women who are smart and interesting and can solve problems on their own and about the variety of ways kids from different racial and cultural backgrounds see the world and about the love and support in all kinds of families, not just the ones with two parents who live in the suburbs. And I object to the lack of books available that depict the diversity of the world in which we live. got a variety of responses. One parent didn't like the book and felt it presented an adult view of a new baby in the family. Two parents mentioned that the explanation of sexual intercourse seemed stuck in and was not important to the story. Two other parents thought the book provided misinformation and that it would be confusing to children. These parents told me that they did not want their children to read Naomi in the Middle until their children were older. Three parents liked the book, including my husband and myself, and my coworker. <laughs> We thought it might provide a starting point to talk about the issue of a new baby in the family. And the two children who read the book liked it, too. I've heard a lot of talk tonight about what's appropriate for seven- or eight-year-olds. Well, I have an eight-year-old at home, so I asked him if he would read the book. And he and his dad read it together, and my eight-year-old thought that kids wouldn't have a problem with the book, that, but that some parents might, thats what he said. And my colleague's nine-year-old daughter read it, and she liked it so well, she recommended it to her teacher in school, and she goes to public school. So you can see from this small sample, it's difficult to reach consensus. But the response to this book points up a larger issue we have to address as parents, Can we control everything our children read, and do we even want to do that? My two-year-old only has access to the books that we provide for him, but already he has his likes and dislikes, and they're different than his brothers. Okay? My eight-year-old goes to the school library and the public library, and he checks out books on his own, and he has his own set of criteria for judging books. Lately, one of his main considerations seems to be size. I discovered a Dorothy Sayers mystery in his cubby here at Bank Street, and I asked him why he chose that book, and his reply was, Isn't it great? It's so thick. (laughs) And I asked him later if he had actually read the book, and he said, You know, it was kind of hard, so I took it back to the library. And I think kids do that. I think they can figure out for themselves what's appropriate to read. We can't protect our children from all the images that we disagree with. What we can do as parents is help mediate the world for them we can try to explain in a way they can understand what is happening and why. If we don't agree with a particular idea, we can tell them where we stand, but recognize that they will develop their own attitudes and values that may be different from our own. We can help them become critical readers and thinkers who reflect and respond to what they read and hopefully talk to us about it in the process. I think that Naomi in the Middle should be available for those children and families who want to read it. Let's expand our school library collections to include more diversity, not less.
4: Um, Well, you commented that your eight-year-old and your co-worker's nine-year-old daughter liked the book. I think that a lot of people like books, but what I'm asking is, should uh, do you think the children are ab- should be able to decide everything that they can and can't read? Or
18: You mean, um, do I think my son should be able to check out what he wants at the library? We, we,
4: I mean, what I mean is, should your son be able to read this book, which... Um, openly discusses sex without you.
18: Well, I gave it to him because I wanted him to read it. But if, would I feel okay if he read it on his own? Yes, I would. But I think that um, it's, it's sometimes it's better to have um, a parent around to talk about things with if you have questions.
9: Um, do you think you're being a little
18: overprotective
9: by picking the books they should read?
18: I usually don't pick his books. Oh, you mean my two-year-old? Yeah. Well, <laughs> he goes to the library, and he usually just pulls books off, sh- off the shelf. He can't read. But I'll tell you one thing. Um, he likes all the books my son didn't like. So, you know, save your books because he likes. It. Did you have another question from No. That? No?
10: in your husband's face when you read the paragraph about the penis and the vagina?
18: Well, to be honest with you, when I first read page 11, <laughs> I was a little surprised, and I, um, I I was a little confused at first. And I thought to myself, gee, she could have left that out, and it would be the same story. It would still be a family story about a new baby coming in the family. I wonder why she put that in. And s- I was a little... I, I. I wasn't crazy about it, but you know what I thought? I thought, I'm not going to um, throw that book out just because there's one part of it that I'm a little confused about. I'm going to read the whole book, and I read the whole book, and I found I liked it. And I think that that's what happened with my son when he read it, too. It just kind of went over him, and he didn't think too much about it. And um, he enjoyed the book as a whole. Um, do you feel
11: that some of the parents that um, object to this book are parents that don't teach their children about sex and then get angry at the book for letting it out?
18: Well, it's interesting because I know everyone's here saying that, you know, parents should um, be the ones to, to talk about sex at home, but I think a lot of parents would agree with me that sometimes your children are the hardest... It's hardest for you to talk to your children. And I'm a t- I've am been a teacher and I'm a parent, and it's... In some ways, it's easier for me to talk to kids in schools about sex than it is my own children. Okay?
6: Um, You say that Naomi in the middle, that, you know, it it should be read some... Did you say it should be read with the parents, you know, or under some sort of supervision? The Uh nine-year-old read it by herself. I think that when you read this book sometimes you'd rather sometimes you may feel more comfortable asking somebody your own age i think maybe that was one of norma klein's purposes to give kids this age you know a point of view that they can relate to
18: i'm not sure i understand well i'm saying what
6: i'm saying is do you don't do you think would you rather your son have read that book with your um husband or with another you know, appear that he could have talked to them about it or something,
18: or some... um. I think at his age, he just turned eight, I Mm -hmm. think it was um, better to read with his dad because um, I think other eight-year-olds, if he had any questions, they might not be able to answer his questions. Mm. So I think that it, for him... But the nine-year-old read it by herself, and then... um, No, what I mean...
6: Well, not really to ask questions with them, but to discuss it, you know, what, what do they mean, and then if they discuss it together, I mean... They might I think, go ask a teacher yeah. or something and, you know, and it, and you know, I think kids probably, eight-year-olds
18: it. probably talk about some of these issues on their own anyway. Even if they don't read a book about it, they probably talk about it.
4: Well, I just forgot my question. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs>
9: um, would you write a book like this yourself? If somebody gave you the chance,
18: would I write it? Yeah. You know, when I was having my my second baby, I brought home all kinds of books. My son was five and a half, and I brought all, home all kinds of books about having babies and pictures and stuff. And he didn't even want to look at them. Okay. So uh, for everybody's experience is different, you know. And um, so if I was writing a book like this, it might be a little different because my experience was different and I might talk about my, my son being um, maybe a little jealous about a new baby coming in the family and maybe not wanting to talk to his parents about it and but I was glad that this book was there that showed a different side of the picture last question
12: okay. um, how would you feel if um, your two year old child um, learned about sex with a group of kids his own age <laughs>
18: I think one thing, I think we have to remember that everybody uh, uh, approaches this subject from the age that they are, okay? So I think some of these parents who looked at this book, they approached it as adults see this, and that's why they brought up incest and other things. They didn't approach it as a seven-year-old. And if my two-year-old, he's not at that place yet, so he wouldn't even be asking some of these questions. You know, he hasn't, he doesn't, he doesn't understand that much yet.
12: What if he um, heard it from...
18: I don't think it would, I, I think it would probably, he would just let it go by because he's not quite at that place yet.
1: Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Coming towards the end now, we're going to open it briefly uh, to questions and comments from the audience and then our uh, our school board will uh, uh, deliberate. If you. If you want to take a very brief seventh inning stretch and stand up and say penis and vagina one or two times, you may.
2: If you just want to get up
1: and kind of look around and, and stretch a bit,
7: okay, I've been sitting for a bit.
1: I don't know how close we'll be able to get this microphone to you, and I may have to repeat questions. David? (laughs) Questions, comments from the audience?
7: Okay, I'd just like to point out that a lot of the members of the panel have been asking, well, what if people who read these books are influenced by them. And I'd just like to point out that today it's not a question of whether you're not going to teach your child about sex and just let and uh, or not have them be influenced by such a book. We live in a world where on TV there are constant mentions of sexual activity, where you can hear things in schoolyards or on TV that you couldn't have heard 20 years ago. I'd like to point out that it's a choice of whether you're going to have your child get reasonably accurate information from a book such as this. Or get misinformation from students or from television or from some other source.
10: Yeah.
1: Would you take that position for us, or are you suggesting? Uh, yeah? uh, are there advocates for other sides of this position?
11: I might be a little outdated on this information, but I had to wait until I was in, se- I'm not sure, seventh or eighth grade to get a permission slip to learn about sexual education in my health class. And then um, and then still we had a problem with it. I don't think this book should be open for seventh and eighth graders to, to read. Um, I have a nine-year-old sister, and I think she's growing up a little too fast. I think this book promotes and endorses sexual education among younger kids. And I don't know, I just, I don't think it's right. I had to wait until I was older, which I think is a more mature age and where people and when children can understand the book.
1: Thank you. Someone, if, if you can, yeah, go ahead. Thank you very much. Was Everybody heard uh, good. Uh, hmm? We'll we'll, we'll hear from them.
4: Okay, yeah. Okay, well, some of the questions that were raised were, um, if you had some sort of disgusting sex in your classroom, like, would you let them see it? And I think that that's completely off of what we're talking about. And we're really only talking about a book that mentions the word penis and vagina and the way you use them. And, you know, some other stuff like rum. But, you know, basically that the penis and the vagina part were the ones that were challenged. And um, I think that we should stick to that and not, you know, go on to what if, what if, what if.
1: Because, you know, what if? <laughs> I mean. We have a teacher in the back. Why don't you take one of those uh, mics?
19: to this young man's comment, penises and vaginas are also used for urination, but you know we don't think that we need to put that in every book we give to kids. Um, all of the speakers before assume that the book will lead to a discussion with families, and everyone thinks that it's okay because it'll open up a discussion with families, but in New York City, throughout New York <coughs> State, throughout the country, there are a lot of families in which discussions don't take place, so we can therefore assume that there might be a problem if this book doesn't lead to a discussion. If the child goes to the library, takes the book out, sits down and reads it alone. So rather than having this book available, why not replace it with a book that does discuss sex and and does education on sex in a healthy way that doesn't include incest or parental pubic hair or parental intercourse or alcohol and booze. A book like a number of those that have been mentioned earlier, books like um, How Babies Are Made, or girls, or girls; boys, or boys. How are they different? Why mm-hmm. not replace this one with one of those? Thank you. Um,
11: this is in response to um, the lady
5: who spoke out against, well, against the book. Um, well, I understand that like you had a bad experience, but it, it would, wh- how would it be
11: if if kids like nine-year-olds were to go around, like not knowing just and then they start assuming things and that like causes even more problems so i mean you can't really like not tell you have to tell them this this information otherwise they're going to assume things and that'll be even worse
1: who was going to respond to that Well, your, your your point is that there's no commentary in this book. There's nothing that nothing we're merely given this information without kind of framing it, right? Mm-hmm.
4: Hold you? I'm ten. I have a comment to what um, the girl that just came up said. She was saying that um, nine-year-olds like would think these crazy things. Well, that's not true because. Now we've got books which tell you the truth and that they will help you learn about these things and it it's not like 9 year olds are those like little kids that don't know anything because they do.
1: The gentleman up there.
16: country of extraordinary anti-intellectualism, where there are no ideas. We have presidents over the past uh, 12 years who cannot make moral decisions about a gentleman running uh, for governor in Louisiana. I know for a fact that books do not uh, promote uh, or facilitate children drinking. Um, I think we need more books, we need more ideas, we need more discussion.
1: Thank you. Oh, uh, that's you. Excuse me. Would you would you put Naomi in the middle in this category of overstimulating book? I think, it is, I think it's a smarmy presupposition that children need to know this, or mm-hmm. that they're going to have a correct uh, approach to this. I think that mm-hmm. they're just going to titillate. Well, thank you, thank you.
0: There weren't that many books on it either, and not that available. So you have to understand the time, that this was quite groundbreaking, as were uh, Judy Blume's books. So it's really, today, to many of us, it may actually
15: seem
16: rather tame, but back then, this book really was you know, quite the frontier. Of,
1: uh, and yet, we're arguing about it. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're arguing <laughs> about it 17 years after uh, publication. Yeah.
20: Eight, 8, 30, any of the weekend, they'll get mm-hmm. much more than that's, that's in this book, they won't get it in the kind of context mm-hmm. that it is. Thank you. Um, well, I'm, I, I remember that, Um, I think that children need to, like, learn about sex and things like that when they're younger, because... Young, like children are very curious about things and like when you hear one little thing about it, it starts you off and you really want to know more. And I think that books like this are good because I mean um, uh, the other person who was 10 years old said that um, there are books that can tell you this. I think it's easier to learn about it like when it's in a story of some sort. And um also like um I don't know. It's just I think it's it's good because people are curious. I mean, what do you think to expect? I mean, if you see your mother in the bathtub, what you, what are you going to do? You're 7 years old. What are you going to ask?
1: teacher from St. Bridges. Um,
21: Yeah, I I think it is important also to take the book in context. This is sort of a reply to Ricky. I don't know where he went. I do need the mic. I need the mic, Ricky. (laughs) Um, I think it is important to take it in context. I don't think the book is intended to be a a guide for uh, sexual education. I think, as we have said, that it is a book about relationships. And also, in reply to this woman, sure, it it doesn't necessarily delve into... uh, the, the depths of of um, sexual abuse or about drinking because they're mentioned in passing as um, uh, notes to realism uh, of a family culture uh, that we haven 't really discussed here uh, a family culture that exists in the reality of this book um, i don 't think they're they're brought up as topics to be discussed or um, educate a child on um, I, the grandmother, a fictional character in a book, yes. A, a fictional authority. I, I agree, I agree. She may not be a responsible uh, grandmother, but she's a fictional character in a book. I, I mean, I, I we have to, we do have to remember to take these things in context, and I think children realize that from a very young age, that books and uh, movies and songs and uh, videos, uh, if we teach them correctly, they realize that these things are, um, you know, created, um, and I think that's important to, to know. Um, okay, so. i Does anybody want to respond specifically to
22: that?
1: Keeping children children, how is that different from censorship? Anybody want to address that in red?
16: For the world, the real world in which they live. And if information is available to them and they have no way of understanding what that information is, and they have no way of, of, of interpreting, it, and they have no way of like placing the context to their own value system as taught by the parent, as taught by the home, then you really child in danger. And in this society, that because we do live in America, because we do live in New York, you know, I think this type of education is, is very, very important. May
1: uh, I Very briefly, though, because there are other people who want to address this. I was
23: speaking about that. I think that parents do have that responsibility. what you say I have no problem with. What that gentleman said before is that children will know what children don't know. Many studies have shown that they Anything
1: else other than what they read or hear. And they're very confused and mistaken by the things that come into them. They're stimuli, in
22: other words. Parents are fine. The lady in the green jacket. I, I I was the Norma Klein's editor for this book in 1973, and I published it in 1974, so you know how I feel about the book. The thing I wanted to talk about is the danger of censorship. You should all remember that once you censor one book, you open up the whole area of censorship. And it is unlikely that anyone in this room, however well-meaning, however you think you're going to protect various children, your own children, other people's children, from knowledge of the world and sexuality and body parts and so on, the main thing is that books that you like... That you would want your children to read are very likely to be censored in kind. It is the First Amendment is our major protection, and once we open uh, ourselves up to censorship, it is truly Pandora's box.
11: Well, people are saying that these issues um, aren't. Kids don't know about these things, and they shouldn't know, and they can learn about them when they're older. But seven-year-olds already know about the issue of sex and male and female body parts. So do we want small children to learn about these things from their friends who may not really know the truth or from books and their teachers and their parents who can, you know, tell them the truth and give them facts so that they aren't confused anymore? I mean, kids do know about these things. They don't... (laughs) I mean they're not as... Maybe they shouldn't know as much as they do, but they already know it, so shouldn't they have the truth?
1: Thank you very much. I think we're going to return to our panel now. Uh, If you recall, these are the people who are going to make the decision. Uh, Are our mics on? Yes. Um, We are going to... You you guys have to say something before we... Go ahead. Adriana.
6: Hello? Oh, it's on? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. um, I think a lot of the adults here are speaking for themselves. I don't think they're asking us what we want. We're the ones who are going to go into the world, not them.
1: <laughs> Christina? you want?
10: Um, to ask a question. I have to ask the question, is anyone that's against the book? Or are you just speaking for yourselves?
1: Do you, would you want them to raise hands if people are, is that, uh, Christina is asking anybody who is against, by against the book, you mean would they ban the book? Yes. Yeah. Uh, would anybody who would ban the book please raise their hand? I
4: got All right, La ladies.
1: Christina, do you want to make a, uh, modify it?
10: Would you ban it because of page 11? Yes or no. but you were banned because you wouldn't want your child reading it? But that's your opinion. But why should you deprive other children from what you think? But the story wasn't really about alcohol.
1: I think this is a very promising avenue to discuss. However, we are constrained because we will be uh, censored from this room at a a certain point. And I think that perhaps it's time to begin our more formal deliberations in terms of, one, uh, what are the possible things to be done with this book in terms of do we burn it, do we embrace it, everything in between, on a and shelf. for who? For what age groups and in what part of the school would you allow it? Would anybody like to uh, to start? I, I would also like somebody to help me and perhaps make some notes. Uh, somebody with a halfway decent handwriting with a magic marker who will use that. Would you like to do that? Your closest? Just uh, as, as, as the panel. Uh, is there a magic marker there? Great. <coughs> Okay, as, as the panel makes recommendations, not quite yet, maybe we'll jot some of them down. Uh, Dimitri, do you want to start?
11: Um, there are kind of um, four or five basic ideas that...
1: I think you might want to bring your mic closer.
11: There are really four or five basic ideas that, um, that we could vote on, and one of them is to keep the book on the shelf, and another one is to take it off the shelf, and another one is to... Um, to limit it to certain ages in classrooms and libraries, and um, I do I just feel that if you're gonna um, if you're gonna limit it, then you can't. You can't. You can just. I mean, because so far the parents and everybody else who has objected to this book is only objected to basically two parts. All
1: right, Demetria, let, let's open that up. I mean, you said on the shelf, off the shelf, and limited to uh, specific age groups. Is there is there anything else we could do with this book?
12: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Romaine. You can, you can make it mandatory reading, or you can um, make <laughs> optional reading.
16: Uh-huh.
1: Adriana.
6: Um, maybe with the parents' consent, Thing with the permission slip from the parent.
1: A permission slip from the parent. On the shelf, off the shelf. Mandatory reading. Limited by age group. Permission slip from the parent. David.
4: Optional reading.
1: Optional reading.
4: Um, I think that what I think would be a good idea was to take the book off of the library shelves and put it inside a classroom. Because inside the classroom there are teachers... And the teachers, you know, number one, they can talk with the students and number two, they can talk with the parents and the students can talk with the parents and the teachers can encourage talk with the parents. So I just think that all in all, it's better with a book which discusses sex or violence um, to be in a classroom where it will be discussed with adults. Or read with
1: the Rather downs. than just out there. Ardenia, did you want to
4: library.
9: add
1: to that?
4: You should just leave it in a,
9: put it on a library shelves and leave it alone.
1: Put it on the library shelf and leave it alone. <laughs> any before we discuss individual possibilities, are there any other possibilities? Anything else we could do with this? Naomi in the middle. Demetria.
11: I mean, if people have a big problem with this book, then there are really only two parts that they have problems with. They don't have to read those parts. I mean, it doesn't like make the book. I mean, you know, it's not. You know, it's not
10: like. No, no, Christina. I mean, it's not like. I think you should keep it on the shelves because it's not your book to ban.
1: It's not your book to ban. Uh, hmm. Diana.
5: I think. I think no action should be taken against it because. Children don't learn from books. They learn from example. And if somebody's teaching them the wrong example, then they're going to drink, or then they're going to have sex. The book has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yes. Any other thoughts or comments on this uh, before we talk about individual? Um, she
4: said that... <laughs>
1: she said... Um, what's her name?
6: Demetria? Oh, Demetria. You said that... Um that they don't have to read those books? Are you saying that they should rip those pages out?
11: No, I'm saying that, like, if people... I mean, there are... It's really just two or three pages of that book. And, I mean, I don't have a problem with any of it. But if people really have such a big problem with it, it doesn't mean that they... I mean, the whole whole story is a great story. And if they have such a big problem with those pages... Then not saying to rip it out, just they can read it over themselves, and if they don't feel that their children should read that area of the book, then they don't. They, then they can tell their children not to read those pages.
6: But I mean that's kind of difficult because you know right away when your parent tells you don't do something, I mean that's going to make you more prone to do it.
11: Exactly. I mean that's
6: what I'm saying. I don't,
11: I don't feel that the book should be taken off the shelves or should have. I think that it should be left alone. But if parents don't want their children to read those areas of the book and that if children <coughs> want to children parents can give the example by telling them that they don't want them to read those pages and I'm saying that children oh. can read it but
1: <laughs> Christina?
22: It.
10: Now if the parents don't want their child reading certain pages then they shouldn't give them the book at all
1: I think maybe we need to, to get down to this now on the shelf. These are some of the suggestions that have been made. On the shelf. Leave it on the shelf. Take it off the shelf. Limited by age group. <laughs> Commission from parents. Keep it in the classroom so the teachers will be in charge of the discussion. Put it on the library shelf by itself. Mandatory reading for everybody. Take out the bad parts. And uh, parents not allow children to read certain parts. David.
4: How about just taking the book out of the school?
1: I mean, ban the book. I don't think Write that, that down. We didn't get to that. Ban the book. Okay, that's certainly a possibility.
4: <laughs> then they're
18: just
1: Anything else? Okay. Uh, do you guys want to think for a minute of, of what you want um, to be done with this book? Huh? You know what you want. Do you guys know? Huh? Wait a minute. I have a question. Please. Okay.
5: If, if you're going to take out one part of the book, then you might as well just not give them the book, because if you take away one part, it doesn't, that's, like, that part belongs in the book. If you take it away, then it's not a book. Why should they have to take yes. a piece away? Uh, 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 uh,
1: David?
23: Um, I think
4: either Christina or Diana made a comment that children learn by example and not by reading. Um, I disagree. I think that reading, people, children do learn a lot from reading. And I don't think that just by example the children learn.
1: <coughs> Adriana?
6: Um, to
4: what David said, that you don't
6: learn from examples, I mean, I know you... I I agree with Diana because, I mean, when I was, um, you know, when I was like 10 or something, I used to read The Sweet Valley Twins. And, you know, Jessica and Elizabeth used to go to the mall or something like that. But you don't see me doing that. You know, they may have had boyfriends, but you don't see me doing that, you know. I mean, I think with Diana, what you see, it depends on your environment. What you see around you, that's what you learn from.
4: Um, I... I'm mistaken about what I said. I did not say that you don't learn from example. I think the children
6: do. But you said you disagreed with
5: Diana.
4: Yes, I do. I think the children learn <laughs> from both books and example. I started
5: trouble.
10: Make up your mind.
11: Okay. Um, <laughs> if people are gonna sure, make up your mind. If people are gonna ban the books, I think that some people just like t- put them in their library purposely so that they can ban them.
10: Uh, like what? to make. Why don't you just leave the book on the shelf? If you don't like it, then just walk away but from it. No, wait, wait, um, but wait, what, what was she
11: saying? I mean, if people, when people, sometimes, um, I think that some librarians if or the advisors to, to order the book for their library, if they don't like it, I feel that sometimes they'll order it just so that they can make an issue to ban it. And if it's just a waste of money that if they, I mean, I think that the, Book belongs on the shelves, and you know everywhere. But, um, okay. just, yeah.
5: um, but like my library, my school librarian is here today, Sister Margaret. And when she orders books, I don't think she orders them thinking, "Well, next week I'll send this one to be banned." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that people like.
11: I mean, I'm just assuming because you know. Zoom. Because, i mean you know in school we we saw a couple we we saw a film and um about it's called the day they came to arrest the book yeah you know and um in the end you know they had the principal and everything how he was taking off all the books from the shelves and i'm just saying that um i think that some i'm not saying that you know, your librarian did that or anything. I'm just saying. No, but you said when librarian. I think we're
1: beginning to sound like a school board. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe it's time for us to vote. And maybe the way to do it would be, since we we don't really have to to solve it, is what's your name? You've done a terrific job. Cynthia, could you turn that so that everybody on the panel can can see what you've written? I think what I'd like to do is just, if if you guys can deal with this, just go around the horseshoe and each of you will tell us what you think should be done with Naomi in the middle. And we'll start with somebody who has always known her mind tonight from Central Park East, Adriana Nova. <coughs> no, well, let's, let's, let's save your clapping until you hear their decision. Wait for the end, please.
6: I think Naomi should be left on the shelf free of all restrictions.
1: Ardenea Morgan.
9: I think that the same thing, it should be left on the shelf.
1: Derek Brown, Central Park East.
7: I also think that it should be left on the shelves. Same.
1: Romaine Clinton from Central Park East.
12: I agree with all my classmates. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's unanimous from Central Park East. We now move to Bank Street. Uh, Courtney Orange.
9: I feel Naomi in the middle should be kept on the shelf.
1: <laughs> David Orr.
4: I also feel that Naomi in the middle should be left <laughs> on the
5: shelf. <laughs> <is> <laughs>
1: <Bye to> <laughs> Demetria Carmen.
11: Um, I think it should be left on the shelf.
1: And now at St. Bridget's School, Rodolfo Rivera.
9: I say leave it on the shelf.
1: Diana Delgado.
5: Leave it on the shelf, there's nothing wrong with it.
1: Christina Funes. 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 Funes.
10: I think it should be left on the shelf.
1: Well, Naomi, in the middle, will probably last another 16 years, thanks to this school board. But I do hope that some of the issues that were raised are worth thinking about. Looking at a book about a very happy, affluent, secular humanist family in Manhattan, where the grandmother says, oh God, but is an atheist, gives rum to the children, uh, and there is no commentary in places where there may not be parents to comment on, is something that people have to think about when they think about Books. I don't think anybody here is for censorship, but I think more people, if they could speak freely, would be about commentary. Thank you very much.